0: This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Owe oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for November 18th, 2022. twenty-two. old pal Justin Robert Young joining ya. Oh, there we go. One more time here at the old PX3 Corral. We're still getting over the midterms. We're, 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 we're sussing stuff out. Uh, we do have a Republican House officially. It's gonna be a very thin, thin, thin Margin, but still, there is a change of the guard there. Obviously, the Senate is going to be up in the air officially until December 6th, but leadership has already been settled. Uh, Rick Scott's blink and you'd missed it challenge to Mitch McConnell falls flat. However, you know that we are all about the 2024 race and One of the biggest candidates that could announce, did announce this week. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, 45th president of the United States, Donald John Trump has decided that we would like a third bowl of cereal and has indeed thrown his hat into the ring uh, during a speech at Mar-a-Lago that went about an hour and change. I got clips. I got thoughts. I'm going to go all through both of them and, uh, you know, break it down. And then, of course, we've got this FTX story. Sam Bankman Freed, the head of the crypto exchange FTX, is in hot water. That's because his company went into bankruptcy this week. The second largest crypto exchange well, is no more. But there's a lot more to this in the political realm, considering Sam Bankman Freed was a Democratic mega donor. Hmm. Interesting. All that. And we will be joined by Andrew Heaton. Uh, I know he said we we're going to have Michael Cohen and we will have Michael Cohen Uh, at at some point down the road, uh, but he was, was unavailable this week, so we called our boy, Andy Heats, and he is going to join us for a little bit of a chat as well. All that. Budford! There was no golden escalator. I would have almost, uh, you know, I would have been sure that Donald Trump would have found a place with a golden escalator. He would have built a golden escalator into Mar-a-Lago just so he could come down the golden escalator again. For the second time as a private citizen, he has announced his intention to run for president. This was something that some assumed he might do before the midterms. He is certainly doing it before the midterms are totally settled, considering there is a runoff in Georgia. But I'm going to play some clips here for you. Uh, let's, Let's begin with this. This was my biggest takeaway. Donald Trump did not spend a whole lot of time talking about the fraudulent 2020 election. In fact, to my knowledge while he did talk about election security later, the only hint he made toward the idea that the 2020 election might not have been super fair was this clip about China.
1: No president had ever sought or received one dollar for our country from China until I came along and we were getting hundreds of billions of dollars. Many people think that Because of this, China played a very active role in the 2020 election. Just saying, just saying. Sure, that didn't happen.
0: Here was something that I noticed throughout this speech. Number one, and many of you longtime listeners will will remember, I thought that when Trump got COVID, he was going to win re-election because calm Trump was kind of exactly the Trump he needed to be. In 2020, when everybody was so freaked out, so anxious, the last thing they wanted was more chaos from Donald Trump. If he could calm down, then maybe they could calm down. There was a moment, and when he had COVID, and he was you know, talking very softly, hey, Melania is younger than me, so she's recovering faster. Ha, 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 isn't that funny? I have a younger wife. Like, that kind of stuff, very on brand. And I felt like he had, for the first part of this speech, a a very low-key demeanor. Even when he kind of turns this uh, from him talking about all the greatness that happened during his presidency to how bad things are now. Just listen to the tone of this.
1: Under our leadership, we were a great and glorious nation, something you haven't heard for quite a long period of time. We were a strong nation, and importantly, we were a free nation. But now we are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. For millions of Americans, the past two years under Joe Biden have been a time of pain, hardship, anxiety, and despair. As we speak, inflation is the highest in over 50 years. Gas prices have reached the highest levels in history and expect them to go much higher Now that the strategic national reserves, which I filled up, have been virtually drained in order to keep gasoline prices lower just prior to
0: the election. That is not to say that there was not some of the trademark things we normally come to expect with Trump speeches, including some of his iconic, bizarrely dystopian and dark imagery.
1: Hundreds of thousands of pounds of deadly drugs, including very lethal fentanyl are flooding across the now open and totally porous southern border. The blood soaked streets of our once great cities are cesspools of violent crimes, which are being watched all over the world as leadership of other countries explained that this is what America and democracy is really all about. How sad the United States has been embarrassed, humiliated and weakened
0: for all to see. And so now we get into what the capital T, capital N narrative is right now. Remember, Donald Trump as a candidate really made his bones initially by being able to stay in the center of all conversations. No matter what the topic was, he was going to have a take on it and his take would probably be something that you would have to react to. Well, we are now seven years Into that, where Donald Trump had to try less and less hard, there was, there was no more talking about whether or not Robert Pattinson was being cheated on, which is what he did before. Now he's the president, so every move of his butt cheek was going to be described in excruciating detail, either by fawning sycophants or by absolute psychotic enemies of his. But right now, he is a major player. He is, in many ways, the Republican establishment. So he's got to address the state of his party. And this is him addressing the losses that happened in the Senate.
1: Much criticism is being placed on the fact that the Republican Party should have done better. And frankly, much of this blame is correct. But the citizens of our country have not yet realized the full extent and gravity of the pain our nation is going through and the total effect of the suffering is just starting to take hold. They don't quite feel it yet, but they will very soon. I have no doubt that by 2024, it will sadly be much worse and they will see much more clearly what happened and what is happening to our country and the voting will be much Different 2024,
0: by the way, not a lot of personal reflection being done without any of this. <laughs> uh, this was, you know, I think he he cited his record of endorsements and said, oh, it's like 222 to 31, something like that. So obviously, look, uh, he's Trump. He's not going to, uh, you know, go into some gigantic uh, uh, self-reflection spiral. Not to say that any politician would do that. Now, here's the first piece of interesting news going forward, in my, in my opinion. This is him, for the first and only time, talking about the Senate runoff in Georgia.
1: Any time in the history of the world there's never been an economy like we had just two years ago, despite the outcome in the Senate, we cannot lose hope. And we must all work very hard for a gentleman and a great person named Herschel Walker, a fabulous human being who loves our country and will be a great United States
0: Senator. Herschel Walker, get out and vote for Herschel, and he deserves it. Now, we don't know whether or not he's going to go to Georgia and campaign for Herschel. Uh, We we don't know if he's going to draw a line in the sand that he won't do it. If DeSantis and Youngkin and Kemp go do an event. I mean, it would certainly help Herschel Walker if they all did one together, but that's certainly not going to happen. And then that's all preamble so we can get to the main event roughly 20 minutes into this speech. Here it is.
1: But we always have known that this was not the end. It was only the beginning of our fight to rescue the American dream. And it's a word you don't use, two words, I don't wanna be Joe, it's two words, American dream. <laughs> that was not good what he did. There are A lot of bad things like going to Idaho and saying welcome to the state of Florida, I really love it. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States.
0: So there we go. It's official. Donald Trump is a candidate for president of the United States in 2024. The first major candidate to announce he's hoping to block out the sun for anybody else that would get in. I don't think he's scaring anybody off. And to be totally honest... I don't think that this announcement really got the same kind of bounce he was hoping. We'll see though, because you know, Donald Trump has made a living out of getting laughed at when he says he's going to do something and then doing it. So I'm not making any kind of big gigantic proclamations, just saying the way I I I feel it in this moment. Donald Trump did not Uh, really focus on any enemy other than Joe Biden throughout this uh, speech. But this is the closest that he got to addressing his enemies that he will have to vanquish first to get to Biden. And that is the rest of the Republican primary field. Here he is discussing the kind of person that's going to be needed to take on the establishment. Together, we will be
1: taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. Our country is in a horrible state. We're in grave trouble. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement that embodies the courage, confidence and the spirit of the American people. This is a movement. This is not for any one individual. This is a job. For tens of millions of proud people working together from all across the land and from all walks of life, young and old, black and white, Hispanic and Asian, many of whom we have brought together for the very, very
0: first time. And now let's get into some of his red meat on Biden. He painted, uh, and and to be totally honest, I think a fairly uh, uh, well coordinated picture of wasn't life better. When I was president versus now. You know, this is one of the more powerful rhetorical devices in American politics for the presidency. Are you better now than you were four years ago? And for many, if not most, if not all, the answer is. No, I mean, the economy's worse. There is more global instability. Obviously, a lot of this is caused from covid and, and many would say a lot of it is hangover from Trump. But still, that is what it is. So here he is. Uh, 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 Joe Biden is the face of left wing failures.
1: I'm begging for oil and we have more liquid gold under our feet than they have or any other nation has. And we don't use it because we're going to them. It's crazy what's happening. We can't let it continue. Joe Biden is the face of left wing failure and Washington corruption. He had a big G20 dinner tonight. Everybody flew over to wherever they flew over. And guess what? He never showed up. They're still looking for him. What's going on? All
0: right. I don't know why I included this clip. I just think it's it's very – Trump goes on these digressions. Uh, he's got these little mini digressions. It's, he does them so often. I don't know if they're ticks or they're planned. But uh, uh, this is him after – calling the Biden administration responsible for every possible thing that's falling apart on the planet. He has this line about critics.
1: And we can't have it anymore. This campaign will be about issues, vision and success. And we will not stop. We will not quit until we've achieved the highest goals and made our country greater than it has ever been before. And we can do that. We can do it. Our victory will be built upon big ideas, bold ambitions, and daring dreams for America's future. We need daring dreams. It is not enough merely to complain or oppose. We don't want to be critics. We don't want to be complainers. I never wanted to be a critic. I never respected critics. They tell people what's wrong, but they can't do it themselves. We will win because we will fight with every measure of our strength and with every ounce of our energy to lift up the working men and working women of America and to restore the fabric
0: of this nation. And what would a Trump speech be without some good old-fashioned hyperbole? Uh, Here he is giving a very colorful example about how bad inflation and the supply chain are. We need economic security.
1: That is why we will launch an all-out campaign to eliminate America's dependence on China. We will bring our supply chains, which are a disaster right now. You can't get anything. And good luck getting a turkey for Thanksgiving. Number one, you won't get it. And if you do, you're going to pay three to four times more than you paid last year.
0: Now, here's something else that I found interesting in the construction of this speech. Again, number one unlike everything that he has been saying on his listserv for the past two years, uh, uh, it, there was nothing about stopping the steal. There was nothing about uh, uh, anything uh, regarding the 2020 election or that things were stolen or the Democrats are stealing. It was a lot of the world is more unsafe. You are poorer. America is a lower in a lower standing. A lot of that stuff. In fact, he waited until the final third of this speech to even get super into what his signature subject was in 2016. And that was immigration. This was uh, him going over how they succeeded on immigration initially, largely based on international diplomacy with the Northern triangle countries and Mexico uh, and how different it has been with Joe Biden. And by the way, now Biden wants to
1: give them four billion dollars. They were happy with 750, and now they want to give them four billion dollars. Somebody someday is going to explain that one to me.
0: It actually makes you rage with anger. Now, by the way, listen to the tone change there, because it's only this late in the speech, and this comes about 40 minutes into the speech, that he starts doing the the shouty stuff which he normally does all the time. He normally, like, like he does the, like he was very, here, like that's the first time that he did that. And, and uh, the first time that he kind of got out of his moderated, lower energy voice. By the way, I don't know if this was a fake tweet or a real tweet, but there was something that was circulating yesterday of a a Jeb Bush (laughs) tweeting uh, a low energy speech from low energy Donald. Go back to bed, sleepy Don. (laughs) But I don't think it was real. But if it was, it would be funny. All right. uh, uh, We're in the tail end of a a Trump speech now. So things are going to get weird. Here is Trump saying that he would give the death penalty to drug dealers
1: not to mention the destruction of families. But we're going to be asking everyone who sells drugs, gets caught selling drugs, to receive the death penalty for their heinous acts, because
0: it's the only way. But then, because he's Trump and he has this populist thing, that's something that that very much came up a, a bunch of times. This is not my movement. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about us. This is about the populist rise. This is about giving voice to the people of America. He does some populist stuff. Here he is, pushing for term limits. Further drain the swamp. I will push
1: for a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. It's time. It's time.
0: You could probably also uh, uh, see that that's like a swipe at Mitch McConnell without saying Mitch McConnell's name. That's the other thing. There was a curious lack of enemies for Trump that aren't Joe Biden. He was actually disciplined in that, you know. Because I, you know, I got to wonder if he realizes that, hey, he's he's got to feel like he can play along with people. Now, who knows? Is that going to be is he going to be able to keep that up more than the hour he gave this speech? I would bet against it. But there we go. Term limits. I think that is that is his I, I don't want Mitch McConnell in Congress anymore. And then finally, here is my last clip. It is the only thing that he explicitly talked about uh, when it came to elections. This is about restoring the faith in elections, what he would push for. Here we go.
1: And of course, we will do whatever it takes to bring back honesty, confidence and trust in our elections. To eliminate cheating... I will immediately demand voter ID, same day voting and only paper ballots.
0: So there we go. Um, i I actually didn't hate the speech. I thought, as far as Trump goes, it was a fairly buckled down speech. It wasn't super digressiony. Um, it wasn't super fun. It got a little droney at times. Ultimately, though, I-, I think that part of the issue for him is you know, we've seen it. We've seen it twice. This is the third time we're seeing it. Um, I-, I do think he probably would have won re election if it weren't for COVID, but COVID did happen and he lost narrowly, but he lost. It doesn't feel like the magic's here, but obviously we've got over 700 days between now and the election, so a lot could change. Oh, baby, 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 come on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. That is where you can get in on our bonus content. We're going to have a lot of announcements coming up. We're going to have a lot of of cloak and dagger espionage. The new Congress is being put together. We are, are going to be seeing... This is, by the way, the beginning of the silent primary. The silent primary. This is when... All the people that are going to start working on campaigns, they start getting hired by these candidates. They start putting together their staffs. This is when a lot of that begins. This is when a lot of the wooing of various different uh, other presidential uh, endorsees begins. So now is when you want to have PX3 plugged into your life more than ever This entire ride for 2024 When when people start asking you about it And it becomes the topic of conversation Do you want to know all this stuff Do you want to know everything that's in my brain I think you do I think that the greatest gift this show can give is giving you takes that you can rip off Creative Commons and pass off as your own. And if you want to get all of them, you got to start now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level. and get you two bonus episodes each and every week, one on Monday morning, the first podcast that you listen to on your way into work that is summarizing all of the Sunday shows that happen. And then our late edition, Thursday afternoon. That is the latest news chronologically that we cover because this Friday episode gets recorded at various points earlier in the week. Do not wait. Do not hesitate. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and join the smartest people in the room I call it the wheel Hmm. I don't think so what does it do? It
2: rules. Yeah. So does a bagel, okay? A bagel you can eat. One of the worst ideas I've ever heard. Brother David, behold! It's a fork! I got ten forks right here, baby! <laughs> um, <laughs> am I right? Yes. Huh? <laughs> My lord?
1: Hmm.
0: What is it? A toilet. My lord? A toilet? You expect this court to do its business inside? We're not animals. <laughs> <laughs> we go outside like humans. It's coffee. Uh, it's new. Uh, 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 it's awful. You don't like it? I'm all jittery and feel like I got a big job coming on.
2: Handcuff, you sign first. No, King! Gentlemen, have you taken leave of your senses? The people shall have the rights to vote. Even the
0: stupid ones? Yes. Stupid people vote? Yes. Ha! Oh, yeah. Yeah. Edison, can I be honest with you? Yeah, it stinks. Does your wife know what's going on here? She knows I go to work. You're wasting your time, and it's sad. You might as well put the dishes in the shower.
2: What? Hey, Catherine, what's cooking? We're putting a man on the moon. Are you out of your mind? I can't even get tuna without celery. Nobody's gone on the moon, ever. Why
0: not? It's too far. It's far. It's really far. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. If you remember the Super Bowl from this year, the Rams versus the Bengals, you might remember that commercial. It was Larry David for FTX, in which he is going throughout various other versions of Larry David through history that has always poo pooed the great new revolutionary idea. Except our modern Larry, well, You might have got it right (laughs) because at the very least, FTX totally took a nosedive. The short, short, short version of what happened is FTX was a crypto exchange, meaning you could buy and sell various different cryptocurrencies, but you didn't really own them. You owned an IOU of those currencies so you could trade them fast. Now, once you got your money out, then it was your money. But while you were in the casino, you were playing with chips. Metaphor number one. Here's what happened. Because FTX was largely based on another crypto token, one that word got out, the exchange was very reliant on. And then another crypto exchange had decided he was going to sell his interest in that coin, therefore creating a run on FTX, which collapsed it. You know, this is basically a bank run. If you ever saw it's a wonderful life, that's kind of the plot of that. Not all the angels and the alternate timeline stuff, but you know, the actual reason why George Bailey wants to kill himself. Anyway, FTX is dead, and Sam Bankman Fried is the head of it. He started this company in his late 20s. He's now at the ripe old age of 30 now, and he finds himself in some political hot water. Because among the things that Sam Bankman Fried did with his money while FTX was humming is put a lot of cash into politics. SBF, as he is called, gave Joe Biden's 2020 campaign the second largest gift that it received, a total of five point two million dollars, only behind Michael Bloomberg's fifty six. How much was that five point two million well, it was a fairly sizable portion of the $79.5 million that Biden received from his top 100 donors. That, by the way, was more than Trump's $75 million. Meanwhile, Bankman-Fried was also a member of the wealthiest Democratic super PAC, Future Forward, which also included Facebook co-founder Dustin Moskovitz, Google CEO Eric Schmidt, and... Kathy Murdoch, the daughter-in-law of media mogul Rupert Murdoch, and Patty Quillen, the wife of Netflix co-founder Reed Hastings. Future Forward had spent more than $108 million in television ads during the late stages of 2020, hoping to turn the tide of last-minute swing voters. So, a lot of money directly to Biden, a lot of money indirectly in the PACs, and there was over $20 million given to the party. So, now that everything has fallen apart, you are seeing some A-covering by politicians that received cash. The FTX scandal promoting, has promoted lawmakers from both parties to symbolically give up campaign contributions from the crypto exchange's top executives. This from Politico. Campaigns for Representative Chewy Garcia, Democrat from Illinois, and Kevin Hearn, Republican from Oklahoma, have given local charities uh, money equal to the amount they received from FTX, according to their spokespeople. FTX executives contributed to dozens of lawmakers in the run-up to the 2022 midterms after FTX filed for bankruptcy last week and is now facing a raft of investigations and growing scrutiny into how it handled its customers' funds. Garcia donated the 2,900 to the Northwest Center of Chicago, and Hearn gave 5,000 to Food on the Move, a local food bank in Oklahoma. Now, it is notable here to say that there was a little bit of a dual wielding situation going on at FTX. So while Sam Bankman-Fried gave more as the CEO there was another business partner that tended to be the guy to give money to Republicans. And that, in this case, was co-CEO Ryan Salome. The goal here, it seems, is that FTX wanted to be in the room when crypto regulations were happening, whether or not. That would have eventually led to FTX possibly being federally protected from a collapse like this. Well, we don't know. Meanwhile, it looks as if DC is going to see more of SBF. This from Punchbowl, the House Financial Services Committee announced a hearing in December to investigate the collapse of FTX. In a joint joint announcement from Chair Maxine Waters, Democrat California, and ranking member Patrick McHenry, Republican North Carolina, the lawmakers say that the committee, quote, expects to hear from the companies and individuals involved, including Bankman Freed, Alameda Research, Binance, FTX, and related entities, among others, end quote. Waters and McHenry also used the announcement to repeat their intentions to push digital asset legislation out of the committee and in the coming weeks and months. A contrast to the Senate Banking Committee Chair Sherrod Brown of Ohio, who said that there were many other risks to focus on. By the way, McHenry is widely expected to become the next chair of the House Financial Services Committee in January. The North Carolina Republican told us, told Punchbowl in interviews That he and Waters wanted to move quickly to respond what is becoming a historic crypto implosion. McHenry also told us that while stablecoin legislation remains a priority for his committee, the FTX debacle underscored the need to address centralized crypto exchanges. Quote, This FTX disaster highlights these conversations that we've found ourselves in that I thought would have been second and third steps. I believe the first step here is you have to have clarity around what is a digital asset. That means making clear legal distinction, one. Then two, having a clear means of exchange. Which then becomes a question of how you deal with centralized exchanges and the nature of these centralized exchanges. So, the long and the short of it is, you're going to be hearing a lot about FTX. It was a gigantic, messy situation. It is very much a a modern parable of uh, of you know crypto gone wrong when really nothing that happened with FTX couldn't happen with a bank. The only difference is that there are regulations on how much a bank can get risky in terms of loaning out money. That's not to say that banks don't fall afoul of this and don't also just get bailed out. But there we go. Get ready for a lot more SBF and FTX. Well, As we wrap up our midterm coverage, there is also a bit of a moment where uh, me as a pundit uh, realized that uh, there's going to be less people calling for me to do random news hits. And I did a few random news hits throughout this midterm season, none more interesting or fun than doing British politics the night of the midterms. But to discuss the bizarre process of trying to explain American news. To foreigners, uh, is my friend, your friend, the world's friend, Andrew Heaton of the Political Orphanage. How you doing, buddy? Hello, delighted to be back.
2: And once again, may I compliment your fantastic midterm extravaganza? That was a impressive spectacle. An impressive and informative <laughs> spectacle. Like I I I concluded that night, a bit drunk with our friend Brian Brushwood, we decided to stay up late and watch your British television hit. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I I think you could put that up against any, any television network and it, it would have been more fun and at least as informative
0: well you know I don't know I, I don't I don't want to you know toot toot the own horn uh, uh uh too hard but it is something that I have thought a lot about like just the tenor of what a live stream would do or what, what live coverage would be like what's good about live coverage what's bad about live coverage and and in my opinion what's great about live coverage what I, what I still think Live coverage is worth watching on cable news for elections because there is really good understanding, granular understanding of how the process works. Like there's a reason why the big board guys have gotten more and more famous, like Steve Kornacki of MSNBC or NBC News in general has kind of become a star for them because he's really good at being smart and and fun and knowledgeable about explaining (laughs) how democracy works in America and pointing out the various places where things are coming in and why this number is good for somebody, why this number is not good for somebody. The bad part is that it's just all the rest of cable news gets packed in around the edges. So when the big board guy isn't talking and everybody's waiting well, this
2: last, didn't they have Kornacki cam this time around? Where like, like Kornacki was on camera the whole time. Even when he's just like sitting there drinking coffee and stuff
0: like they had him on camera the whole time. I, I, I do not doubt it because he is the star there. And that's what for me, it's like, all right, well, if I were to reimagine it, then let's do a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants for all the stuff in between, you know, and and have some props and break some boards and uh, have a smoke machine and and make the calls a little bit more uh, uh, crazy. But yeah, we will uh, uh, we will continue to do them. Thank you so much for being part of it. And, Great. and it's yeah. also just such a fun thing to have everybody in the same town. Just be able to be like, hey, come on down to the clubhouse.
2: We're putting on a show. Very much so. Um, uh, the the previous time that I covered the midterms was at a former employer with whom I am still on good terms, but I fit much better with our clubhouse of uh, misfit toys. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and felt very at home and very much like it was almost like a homecoming of like, look, you belong here. You're, you're <laughs> no longer the fun foreign exchange student who clearly doesn't belong, doesn't here, belong here, but is tolerated. You are. No, you were part of this, this
0: fabric. You're part of the team. Yeah. So that night, it's funny that that you bring that up initially. We both were speaking to foreign audiences. We did. Yes. Uh, uh, I, of course, ended the night on on GB News. Uh, but you. GBTV, the GB- Journal of Record. Yeah, yeah, Uh, uh, but you were also speaking to the Iranian Dysporia Network? Well, it's, what's the name of it? I can't remember.
2: Somebody reached out to me. Um, and, and when, uh, and by the way,
0: this is how it happens. Let, 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 let's, let's, pull back the curtain. The way these things happen is you get a random email from a producer, right? Well,
2: they, I mean, I knew the person, oh, okay. um, cause I, I'd done some work in DC and I'd been a guest on their show. And it turns out I'm a great talking head to have in a box randomly to summon like a genie. And, uh, um, she went, do you, do you want to come on Iranian television to talk about the midterms? And I was like, is it Ayatollah or diaspora? And I would have done either, but if it had been Ayatollah, <laughs> I have some choice words about the Ayatollah. Yeah. Hey, so I, mister. I, I would have been like, hey, listen, I'm going to go on this network. But for the record, I think your crappy authoritarian regime should absolutely be, you know, chucked into the dustbin of history. Turns out, no, um, I, I got invited to go on Diaspora television, which actually films out of Washington, D.C. OK. Uh, it, it is Persian Iranian language. It's for, for expats and um, for... Um, the diaspora, and one would assume some variant of uh free free radio Iran equivalent, yeah, um, for people back home. But it was in uh, in Persian, uh, or I guess
0: Farsi. Sorry, and um, had a translator. I've never had that before. Uh, and- oh, so you were getting so they would 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 you get the questions in English, or or, or the translator would ask you would would, would translate the questions for you. Uh,
2: the translator would question uh, would, would, would translate the questions for me. I, I'm I'm confident the host speaks English because he lives in Washington, D.C. and we now follow each other on Twitter. and He's very nice. Yeah. Uh, but but it is it is uh, Farsi. But He
0: was broadcasting in Farsi.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And gotcha. it, it was it was interesting because like it, I think what they wanted to talk to me about was, hey, wait a minute, you're not a Republican or a Democrat.
0: How's that
2: work? And I was like, I got thoughts. I got so thought, wait. So
0: you were just doing a more broad thing. You weren't really even talking about no, the midterms.
2: No, no, no. I think they they just wanted like brief color commentary from an independent. What does gotcha. that look like? Gotcha. Uh, and what like why are you an independent? Why aren't you one? And I was like, oh, this is easy. I talk about this oh all my the god. time. Oh god! Yeah. No. Um, and put and a, but,
0: put a nickel in the machine and watch you go.
2: Yeah, but but like but th- th- there were some translation issues initially because he's like, what was the phrase? Uh, he he asked the question and then the translator comes on and says, uh are, are the reasons you're an independent because of market deficiencies in democracy or something like that? And I was uh, like, what what do you mean by market? And what he meant was that you only have two options. Got I was like, you, got yeah. it. Okay. took me yeah. a minute. Yeah. But did, did that. Um, So I, I did a Iranian television, um, uh, pri- which was fun. I'm really glad I did that. Um, And then I'd done GBTV uh, yeah. uh, right before I came back to Austin. Um, You had a, a, a very good informative five minute hit with them. I had a very sloppy hour long talking head panel show that I did with them. Oh, really? Um, yes. Which was. Were you live in studio? I was live in studio. Uh, it was very much the news setup thing where you sit at a big shiny desk with people with interesting hair and all of that stuff. Proper yeah. cameras and all that. Um, that one was interesting because, as you know, I don't like to come on shows unless
0: I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, I don't know. I because I, like, I can't. That, that is that has been the biggest issue with me as a producer for we're not wrong mm-hmm. is trying to coax you into like, no, give me a half formed opinion. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this is a, a an opinion Shoot show from the, you op- can't, you can't be wrong here, but the, the, but you are very resistant to that. I was,
2: I was, but th- th- that's an even bigger problem for me on British television yes. because I don't know. Like they, I, I came in and, um, was like, you know, I'm a pretty smart dude. I can do this. And like the first three topics were like the bank of England has determined that 3% in interest rates will be, uh, Um, not sufficient to drop the pince clause on the And I was like, Oh shit. This is, this is, this is not just macroeconomic policy. They're using weird British terms. I don't know. They're using slang. They're they're like, what is your thought on Jeremy hunt? And I'm like, I literally didn't know this man existed until I I read this email earlier today. Um, But it was a lot of fun. My, the, 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 uh, like at one point, 15, 20 minutes in, we went to commercial break and I was like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't I don't know. I'm trying my best here, but but I'm treading water to some extent. And they're like, those people are bluffing. And I was like,
0: <laughs> hey, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks, gang. So they brought you on to talk British politics. It wasn't like, yeah. let, let's have the American on to talk. Uh, uh, an American the, view on the,
2: this. The only American centric story I think I was on for was uh, this was when Mike Itkiss the the ill fated uh, point yes. candidate of New York, announced his candidacy, which was the. Florida man story of the globe for, you know, a week. So that came out, like have the American talk about you that. You talked
0: about that on British yeah, television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank uh, God I, we covered it. I believe, believe that's wrong.
2: where I endorsed that man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was on British television. Um, but no, the rest of it though was all he like, put his, he
0: put his money in many other things where his mouth put, was.
2: <laughs> um, uh, uh No, otherwise, I was talking about uh, British politics, which which was because it turns out I don't know British politics nearly as well as I thought. I know British politics very well as an American. Yeah, talking about British politics, where I need to know the king and three people. <laughs> I need to know the king, the Tory, the Labor. I don't even know who the head of the Lib Dems is at this moment because no. it's
0: irrelevant. They're the other ones. I then guess there's the Scots. The other guys. You know, you, yeah. you know
2: them, and then you know that there is like. Uh, Scottish that, hate the that, English. That dude that really hates Europe who's kind of funny there's that, that, two that, Ireland's
0: yeah like that's pretty much which,
2: again by Oklahoma standards I'm knocking this out of the park oh my god I, I could be ambassador to the United Kingdom from Oklahoma with the, the knowledge that I got then you get in and you're like oh I'm a little bit over my
0: head I, I can talk about British politics in the same way you ever see the viral clip of the lady I forget which country it's from it's like an American Idol where she sings the song Ken Lee no it's the, the Mariah Carey song can't live uh, uh, but she sings. He's like, I'm going to sing Kenley, and they're like, what? It's like Kenley. <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay, go ahead. And it's can't live, and they're like, oh, okay. You just think that the lyrics are Kenley. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I can talk about British politics. I know mm. enough that eventually you'll realize I'm trying to sing. Can't live. I'll, t- I'll tell you the, the thing about
2: because um, I, I do have a lot of experience explaining American politics to British people, given how frequently I'm over there. Yes. Uh, and and I I did go speak to some college students at Oxford, and so I've, when I've you got canceled when I got can- well when I got deplatformed. Now having done a special episode on the political orphanage about what is cancellation. I I now have to clarify. I was, in fact, just disinvited. Cancellation would have been like if I were summarily boycotted. No, look, cancellation is mostly for for branding. Ah, in that case, then I was canceled. And you were canceled c- c- and, congratulations and driven from the square. <laughs> unto me for being the dangerous <laughs> firebrand, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the the crazy leather jacket wearing motorcycle wearing zealot that you know and love. Um, with, I'll say with, with, with British people, the two things that um, come up a lot. That I am—I'm uh, actually surprised at how intuitively they—they they, uh, immediately glom onto the concept I throw at them. Is there's always this? Um, how can your healthcare be so terrible? We take care of all the people in our country, and I'm like, okay. I, first of all, I don't disagree that you've got superior healthcare. I, I do not like the American yeah. healthcare system. I think it has lots of problems with it. I'm not advocating for the status quo. If I could snap my fingers and have the British system, and it would work as well as the British system, I would. And then my follow-up is. Um, do you think the National Health Service would be better if it was abolished and and put under the auspices of Brussels, who would run all of Europe's yes. healthcare collectively? Yeah. And to date of the maybe 60 Brits and Europeans that I've asked this question, one has said yes. And it was in the context of a Brexit conversation where she was very, very, very. Everything anti-Brexit. should be going yeah. to Brussels. Yeah. yeah. Every other person, including the most like labor left-leaning people that I meet in Finland and Estonia and Latvia, countries like that, and in the United Kingdom, always go, oh, no, I don't think it would be better if, if that system was run as, as a one-size-fits-all out of Brussels. And, and I'm like, well, in that case, you should give the Americans a little bit of latitude because you're really talking about the North American equivalent of the European Union Yes. when we get into issues of scaling. We're not talking about how does Germany stack up to America. A better comparison would be how does Germany stack up to Ohio uh, yeah. And that's not what we typically do, but
0: we, we ought to. The NHS I've I found when talking to British people is weirdly follow me on this one. It's kind of like trying to explain guns to British people. Like the NHS means something more than yes, just healthcare well, that, that is, to them in, in the same way that guns right. mean more to America than just a, a firearm.
2: I think the, the, the proxy that I've noticed, um, OK, so. Gardens are to British people as cars are to Americans and the troops are to American people as the NHS is to the Brits. Yeah, the NHS is there. Give it up for the troops, yeah. um, which, hey, hats off to them that they're it, it is a very popular program that seems to work very well that they're very proud of. I don't blame them for that. Um so uh th- that is one of the things but once, once I bring up that kind of intergovernmental comparison like pretty much everybody goes oh that's a really good point point. and then the other one um, that I'm surprised works is everybody thinks we're nuts on guns um yes I, I am in America a like mealy mouthed center left uh Texas butt asterisk gun guy nobody likes me over here when it comes to guns right yeah. when I go to britain i immediately become the most pro-gun person on that dinky little island because they're like well we think that there should be guns but there should be three of them and all of them are kept to the tower of london yeah and they're fired annually when the king orgasms and that's it and then the rest <laughs> of the time there are no guns and i'm like well yeah i like i'm definitely more pro-gun than that yeah and they think it's crazy and then i just i go look i i'm not saying that we've that if I were designing the system from the bottom up, I don't know that it would look like this. But uh, if if you guys suddenly had, uh, I think the population of Britain is what about seventy million, and I'm like, if you suddenly had seventy five million unregistered guns floating around in Britain and you didn't know that where they were and you knew a lot of criminals had them, would that alter the equation? And and they always go, yeah, that would change the equation. And I'm like, all right, well then there keep, we go. Keep keep in mind that while there might be smarter things we could be doing, we are dealing with a different set of cards than you've got.
0: When you do international hits. Cause I've now done it on RT America, which is, it was nominally Russian, like literally their name was Russia today. Uh, right. And it was certainly funded by the Russian government. It was broadcast out of Moscow. It felt a lot more like just kind of an almost even like American tilted edgelord program is a little more like, like, like an edgelord Fox news yeah. in that, that they were a little bit like rabble rousy. But wasn't, at least in all the hits that I did, were not particularly ideologically bent beyond the idea of we're suspicious of Joe Biden and we're suspicious of Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. which uh, is not a strange position for, uh, you know, mainstream outlets in, in America or or England. And now I've done it on on Great Britain TV, but do you find that there's like a a thing that they want, like a central thing that they're trying to understand in, in their questions about American politics.
2: Um, I've, I've not found there, at least in my, my minimal experiences, I haven't found that there's an agenda where they're trying to get me to be the cookie cutter character to like, I've not had that happen. Um, there, there are, um, there are situations where, uh, they are they are baffled by something, and they're trying to understand that. Trump was a baffling one. That for the Brits. that I
0: think I think we're on the same page yeah. with that, because especially being in Europe, and you've been in Europe a lot more than I have, but but being in Europe, you know, for a little bit you know, over over you know however long I've been going over there, what fascinates me is that everywhere in Europe and England, probably more so than others every news block has the America section. Yeah. It's in there. And like, it, like it, it, it's, it's as if it were the squirrel on water, on water uh, skis. Yeah. Right. But it's like that section is always just the American thing. And like, it always feels like everybody involved when they're reading the news on it is always just like, well, <laughs> they're at it again.
2: <laughs> well, so that, that's something that I have noticed about international coverage. So the, the kind of, um, the predominant uh, we, like binary hacky thinking that you see in American, uh, American news is um, from the right, uh, progressives are evil. Democrats want America to fail. They want it to fail. They yeah. want America to fail so they can build a communist utopia on their ashes, all that stuff, right? Um, when it comes from the left, it's not geared at the right. It's geared at how awful America is. Uh, and I and I I'm not saying either of these are emblematic of the entire media sphere, but like Michael Moore is a good example of this. Of like uh, Mike, Michael Moore, who I think believes everything he says, has made a very good living just saying how awful America is. Yeah, that, that is very popular with Europeans and Brits. They very much enjoy that. They they like in the same way that people that watch Fox enjoy confirmation bias of how stupid and awful the progressives are. Europeans and Brits have a, a significant taste for that. There's there's a big well for it. Of of uh, the 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 dumb Americans did it again thing Um, like one of the ones that I remember this being a thing a few years ago where um, I was in Scotland and multiple people brought up um, one of your ladies. She went to McDonald's. And and spilled coffee on her lap, and she sued them for fifty million dollars. It's crazy what you do over there. And I was like, "Well, okay. Do you know the context?" Yeah, no. You know the, I'm that, like, well, that the
0: actual story. The, the, yeah. The,
2: the context is that um, uh, McDonald's started offering free coffee, and people were taking too much coffee, so they intentionally made it much hotter in order to try and dissuade people from doing it. It was a uh, a closed container. It opened anyway. The liquid was hotter than the water you find in a radiator, and it caused genital damage. So, like, I think that there's a point to that. It wasn't just an idiot that wanted to sue. Like, you can see where she's coming from, but but that was not the story that was given. The story but was even then, stupid litigious was, Americans.
0: But that was also a story that was popular here. Like, like yeah. it, it took the kind of like blog and podcast sort of revolution of like that there there became this uh, uh desire for counterfactual or maybe you don't fully understand sort of content that became a gigantic thing for it. But I guess it just hasn't made it over there much in the same way that the last time that we were in, in uh, I think it was Frankfurt, there was a poster because Godsmack is still touring. So it's like it's like just things take longer to cycle through when they're when they're echoing in Europe. Eventually, they'll get it. Maybe you're the the maybe I'm the, the guy. Yeah, you well, are, you're, 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 you're the, the patient zero. This, for this that. is
2: how I think this is going to play out. I'll note, by the way, that I have not I have not been on the the uh, receiving end of anti-Americanism when I go over to Scotland and England. Um, I like. I've I've been to a lot of countries. I've maybe felt uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable as an American once. Like like the great news is people throughout the world are all part of the same group which is folks. Everybody's just folks, most people are just trying to get along. Most people on the entire planet are actually pretty decent people. Um that said, yeah. Uh America is the big winner and people don't like big winners. Um they 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 want them to to knock down a thing and it it's interesting looking at um, international understanding of America, like post World War II, where it was like, "Oh, America's like our little brother beat the shit out of the bad guy." Like, yeah, yeah go America, you did it, yay! Rockets, flag, moon, uh, and and now it's the big stupid dude at the NASCAR, like whatever the thing is. Uh, I was talking to some of my friends in Scotland, and and like I mentioned something about America's superpower, and and they they were like, "Well, hold on for your hat about China," and I was like. I think when China becomes the dominant superpower, you're really going to miss America, friend. Yeah,
0: no, I, I think
2: you're going to be quite surprised at what the world looks like with a dominant China and, and, and America in the backseat. I, I don't you're, think you're going to like it as much.
0: You, yeah, I think it's better for you that you're in a special relationship with the top dog right now. Yeah, in general, I would I would agree. I've never, even when I've been absolutely obnoxious uh, in my younger days in, in European travels, you know, where Americans are Mickey Mouse. Every once in a while... Someone's going to explain to you that, you know, Walt Disney was an anti union commie buster and, and, uh, 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 you know, people get raped at Disney World. But by and large, people just kind of like to see Mickey Mouse and they're just like, oh, look, yeah. Mickey Mouse is here.
2: The, 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 the two things that I think also inoculate. So I, I, I've, I've got a theory. I think homogeneity breeds contempt. I think this is why if you go to a like overwhelmingly blue city or overwhelmingly red county in the United States, you will find that the political discourse is just straight up villainous about the other team because the people in vacuums don't know other people. Yeah. It's actually pretty difficult to do that at this point in the developed world across the world, uh, the country, uh, excuse me, the planet to not have Americans you like. It would be, yes. it would be very odd um to be French. And like, I, I, I don't know why I'm going to that. Um, French, let would just say French to be French and be like, you know, Oh, I hate American leaders. Also. I hate Tom Hanks. Yes. Also. I hate the beastie boys. Like there's going to be somebody you like, um, the the other bit too, and this is something that I point out to Brits periodically, and it has a lot more salve now that I'm I'm here. Um, like every once in a while, you get drinks in a Brit, and and I should say this is very minimal. They're mostly lovely and polite, but every once in sure. a while, you get drinks in them, and they're like. You know, you, you're a good sort. I like you, but I I usually don't like Americans. I, I don't I don't care for them. And you're like, really? Do you not? And then I just immediately go, what about like African Americans? Like, oh no no no, they're fine, <laughs> they're fine. And I'm like, mate. Oh, okay, so you're fine with black people, but like we've got a big Asian population. Are you okay? Yeah, they're fine too. They're fine. They're great. And I'm like, okay, what about like um, like Native Americans? And I'm like, okay, Cuban. And we just go down the list. And I'm like, who are you talking about? And then they go, well, you know, like loud overweight people with guns and trucks. And I'm like, yeah, Texas, everybody hates Texas. Like I live in Texas. Let me tell you, everyone in America hates Texas. Yeah. Like you it's just, its just say you brand. hate Texas friend.
0: Yeah. I've always, one time I wanted to pitch a reality show, like a, like a physical competition show, like kind of like a, like an American Gladiators things that would only pit Texas versus Australia. Oh,
2: that'd be brilliant. Cuz I feel
0: like those are the two brands, like the yes. global brands. and They're they're also cousins. Like
2: yeah. like I've I've been to Western Australia. I spent a month over there a few years ago. I I traveled around, did comedy and, and like uh Perth is Waco plus kangaroos. And I say that as a compliment. Like I have literally never been Anywhere outside of Oklahoma, more like Oklahoma than Western Australia.
0: Just imagine the finale. They're going to do some big obstacle course or something like that. And then we just cut back and forth to uh, uh, pep talks from... Crocodile Dundee and Walker, Texas. Yeah. Nice. We just get the actors to actually just play those characters. and just walk in full costume. I don't know. I feel like this would be a hit. Everybody would watch it. If just to be like, well, look at these two land of, of uh, 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 the, 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 the Dunder heads go at it.
2: Um, to, to backtrack a little bit. One of the things that I do find odd when dealing with foreign media and dealing with being the resident American, in, in, amongst foreigners, is the comparisons are almost always America and Europe, or America, Europe, Australia, and Canada. It's basically yeah. America versus the other white countries. Oh, the white countries. The white white countries. Yes. And it like I'm like if you actually want to get into government analysis here, then it would make sense to also talk about Brazil. Yeah. It would make sense to talk about India. South Africa, yeah. India, like. I like, I think it's fair to say, to compare us to other top countries in the OECD, that makes sense to like, we're, we're talking about relative levels of affluence, but then when you get into a lot of the breakdowns people bring up, just, just don't fly. Uh, They, they, all of a sudden, the, the thing that we're horrible at that clearly they've knocked out of the park. I'm like, well, they're doing that exact same thing in this other country and it's not working. So maybe, maybe we're not quite as dumb as you think. And then there's other situations going on.
0: You you used to see that a lot in, and, and there's been like a concerted effort to go against it, but. Uh, in basketball, whenever a white player would be like good or be drafted, whenever you think like, watching the NBA draft, it's like, well, you know, shooter out of Duke reminds me a lot of Larry Bird. <laughs> and it's just like no, he doesn't play anything like Larry Bird. There's one he, thing he, he is. Yeah, one like, he reminds you of a lot of other players that are black. But uh, uh, no, it's like when it, when it's a black player, it's like oh, all these different things. There's a lot more black players, so it's like oh, he reminds he has KG's jump and uh, 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 Ray Allen shot or something. But no, it's always in basketball. It's always uh, uh, white people. But I never put that together with countries. That is that is fascinating. Well, it, it makes sense. So
2: I I did a um. I did a really big deep dive on uh gun crime and gun legislation on the political orphanage about eight months ago, and the way I tackled it was uh ninety percent of the time when we discuss guns we we go from a a position of hypothesis and disproving hypothesis hypothesis a less guns means more crime hypothesis b means an armed citizenry stops crime right that's basically yeah. the the two dueling notions yeah. and everything else is now which is fine that's it's called um uh, uh, deductive reasoning it's 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 fine but it's I think overdone and I was like i want to go the other direction I want to do inferential reasoning so rather than having a hypothesis and then disprove or prove that hypothesis, what I want to do is just look at a ton of data and then go what patterns do I see in this data? what are things other countries are doing that works what are what and i I, I did a massive amount of research on this and one of the things that I found interesting was that most of the um and i'm i'm people at home are probably not going to – don't try to guess my position on guns. Don't send me an email about this. I'm saying this from – as like a data analyst perspective. Um, one of the things that I found interesting was that most of the comparisons were, as I said, America, Canada, America, Europe, yeah. um, something like that. And then when you when you start adding in like um, South Africa, you start adding in uh, Brazil, Argentina, other countries, um, or Switzerland for that matter. All, all of a sudden, a lot of the metrics get really thrown off where, where you're going, well – um, like Switzerland, the amount of homes that have a gun in them is comparable to the amount of homes in the United States. But also, they have way less gun crime and, and way less homicide, which is why I think, like, Switzerland seems to me to be... Uh, Switzerland and South Africa are probably the most relevant comparative cases for gun When it comes gun to control. guns? Yeah, because yeah. Canada, like... Ninety percent of the Canadian uh, population lives within four hours of Buffalo, like it's uh, or, or something to that effect. Like yeah. it's it's a different setup. It's
0: Montreal. It's Toronto. Yeah. It's Ottawa. It's, it's and, just it's it's yeah. a,
2: it's it's not a very good comparison, right? Whereas like Switzerland, and then there's
0: country music fans. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Uh, Over there, because Al- Alberta it, it, is the Texas yeah, of Canada it, it, until you get to uh, uh, Vancouver when the stoners show up. Yeah, then you then you get
2: to the Portland of of uh, uh, <laughs> the Portland um, of Canada. But like but like but like Switzerland, like um, uh, I was like, well, let's figure out what the hell they're doing because I. I don't think it's very useful to look at Britain and and go, what are you doing for guns? And like, oh, okay, you you have three of them. Whereas like Switzerland, I'm like, what are you guys doing that we could steal from you? Like I reached out to their ambassador and was Mm -hmm. like, hey, I would love to talk to you about what you're doing to stop mass shootings because I'm amenable to these solutions, incidentally. But I feel like that would be a a better situation. Um, And a lot of the solutions that you see in other countries when applied outside of the white countries aren't working. And so it's like, okay, well. I I, those comparisons suddenly become kind of murky and cherry picked. Also, nobody ever talks about Singapore, South Korea or Japan when they're talking about countries, which I think are highly relevant. Those are also Western extraordinarily they're they're industrialized, capitalist, liberal democracies, but like never comes up when we talk about like uh, zoning and stuff. My bugaboo, like Japan's a fascinating country to to, um, look at from a zoning perspective,
0: never comes up. Japan fascinated me when I was when I was over there, just just to understand how much they're like, no, we pick winners and losers like we we will put the government behind businesses. We will be very protectionist, not like China level protectionist, but we'll be protectionist for our industries. We will build our our, our stuff. But, you know, it works well enough that nobody really complains about it like that. It's it's uh, it is it is what it is. Let me let me bring it back to uh trying to explain America to to foreign. Uh, news outlets though I have always found that the biggest thing especially in Europe that people like just cannot wrap their head around is the two-party system Hmm, like that that's that is a thing for which is is, good for them Uh, uh but like do you feel and now, now i'm gonna get all european yes they're correct well no, no no but but beyond whether or not i mean of course i think baked in is the idea that that their reality they are wondering why their reality is different than our reality i mm-hmm. think that that is that is that is the key element to it you are somebody that obviously has talked a lot about yeah. the 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 duopoly how much you have not found a home there there's a reason why you know, the title central, of my the show, title of your show, <laughs> it's called is the political leverage. Political leverage, because of your frustration with this fact. Do you feel either when you're over there or when you're doing these hits that you need to, at the very least, explain why it exists before you get into your uh, uh, your, your 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 screed on this, or or is it just like, no, you're right, uh, we're dumb? Uh, I.
2: I point out the the old aphorism that Europeans have elections and then coalitions and Americans have coalitions and then elections. We're, yeah. we're functionally doing the same thing, um, although I think that their, their system is better. Uh, our system, I think, actually worked pretty well um, up until around 1990, 1995 or so. Um, prior to that, we had these really big ele- uh, coalitions because the Democratic Party didn't really mean a lot. It was five parties. There were the Bourbon Democrats and well, the Also, they owned
0: – the House of Representatives until then.
2: Right. We, and, had, and no, the, we had
0: no meaningful Republican the, 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 the representation. We, we, we in had the House. A,
2: a sun and moon system where the Republicans were a protest vote or a tiebreaker within Democratic civil wars. But that was back when. In effect, we had multiple parties there like you could be a bourbon Democrat or a Rockefeller Republican. You could be a Northeastern Union Democrat or you could be a Goldwater, hardcore libertarian like all of the there were multiple parties within that system. Um, And uh, so we did kind of have that. It's just that we had the coalition. And then once the coalition picked its people, we'd elect between the two of them, whereas the Europeans do it the other way, which I prefer, which is where they have elections. And then they go, okay, the. European garden gnome party and the, uh, uh, post fascist neo Marxist waterslide party are going to form a coalition government. And, uh, um, uh, the, the bit that I, that I do need to kind of explain to them sometimes is I think the nature of conservatives is very different depending on the the context. So like, I don't see a big difference. Um, and, and this could be my own biases here, but I don't see a big difference between like The Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party and labor uh, labor in the United Kingdom. I think that's kind of a very similar um, labor Democrat. More more under Corbyn than Blair under Corbyn. No, no, no. Blair is very much a a Clintonite neoliberal. Uh, But but under under Corbyn, under Corbyn. Yeah. Um, So I don't really have that. That makes sense. They understand Bernie Sanders. That's intuitive to them. But when it comes to conservatives, um, I'll be like, okay. Conservatives on in continental Europe are different than conservatives in Britain and uh, America to a great extent, because the the European conservative lineage comes from a blood and soil, maintain the monarchy, maintain the church, um, maintain the old guilt. It's a very like reactionary, old keep the status quo system. Whereas the American and British conservative experience, up until very recently, would have been described as conserving the gains of the enlightenment, which is yeah. to say conserving liberalism, which is a whole different kit and caboodle. And then it gets a little bit more granular with the difference between uh, British conservatives and American conservatives. Um, with the very, very, very large exception of Donald Trump, the, the American conservative electoral model for the last 30 years has been an extremely ideological one of who's the rhino and who's the true heir to Reagan. Yeah. And everybody's running as the real Republican and everybody else is a fake Republican. Um, it's an extremely ideological way of looking at things. Um, and I have to explain, look, re- Republicans think and express things ideologically, whereas Democrats in my country think and express things coalitionally. So uh, the Democrat and I, and I this isn't valence. This is just a, 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 an amoral look at how they're how they conduct themselves. That creates a lot of unnecessary crosstalk. Um, the, the Democrats are thinking about. The teachers unions and LGBTQ and uh, single moms and uh, everybody in it, right? They're thinking in terms of that. Uh, The Republicans are thinking in terms of ideology. So the Republicans look at the Democrats and go, um, clearly you are as ideologically as us. You're just lying. You're all crypto Marxists. You're all secretly reading that yeah. dude from the weather underground. The Democrats do the same thing. They look at Republicans and go, well, that's clearly a smokescreen. That's got to be bullshit. You don't actually
0: believe you, any. No, of it's, yeah. it's all
2: it's all lip service. You really just want to entrench your interest group, which is the white males. And I'm like, B- both of them are wrong, but both of them actually believe what they're doing. They just have different operating systems. Why it comes of issue with the Brits is that the, the Brits tend to be a lot more pragmatic with their conservatives or, or I guess we could say less ideologically driven, however we want to phrase this, um, the, the British conservatives tend to be a, um, we're okay with big governments to enact conservative principles. Um, and and they're, they're a lot less ideologically rigid or, or have are prone to ideological litmus tests. So even British conservatives are a bit baffled by American conservatives.
0: I found that mm-hmm. when I talked to a bunch of British conservatives a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, there is still a very like there is not a natural kinship. There was no. like the the closest you would get would be in bravado between like a Trump and Boris Johnson. Yes, there, there, where, there where, is where they a were like, hey, we, we were power to the people that that's that's how we got into power. And and uh, uh, now what they do after that and how they comport themselves and how they talk to everybody. That is is night and day, but then again, I also think that that's part of the fascinating relationship between America and and England and, and and the UK. Rather, that's that's why we're I think constantly looking at each other to see what each other is doing because it's like it is so close to being similar, but but different.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right about that. Um, uh, there there is something of a gulf there. There are they 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 come together occasionally. Um, they came together during Trump and Johnson to a great extent because they were sort of united in an antipathy to progressives or leftists or the woke or whatever. Well, I think
0: that was that was Brexit than Trump. Like yeah. the fact that those were bang, bang. And, but like, but, then, I think but then, that, that was that was an element of like, oh, I guess we're all in the same but, but, boat but, now. But then
2: To go back to Blair, though, you look at like the Blair years versus like Clinton or even George H.W. Bush. It gets real soupy real quick of like, like B- Blair was for a dyna- dynamic open market society. A lot of people viewed him as a sellout for labor purposes. Yeah. Um, like I I look at Blair and I'm like, I'm seems pretty good to me. Uh, but then you go back to the eighties and like Margaret Thatcher and Reagan are soulmates. Yeah. Uh, and, and then like, then there was this like ideological core to the conservative movement. But for, for a long time over there, Um, it's weird for me talking to Americans when, when we discuss the Brits, because everybody's so goddamn excited to fight the good fight of red team versus blue team that the Republicans line up and are like, yeah, the conservatives won. And the Democrats are like, boo, conservatives. And I'm like, guys, their conservatives are our Democrats. Yes. Our Democrats are their conservatives. Their labor is our socialists. Like they're, they're just, their whole country is a step to the left of us. So like, if you like Barack Obama, You'd like the conservatives because that's what he would be over there if you were to translate yeah. his policy ambitions.
0: Oh, well, you know, maybe we'll all solve it one day when we come together in the new world. That's, yeah, that's we'll right. I all have, we'll all I have can't, the same rules. As
2: soon as the Bilderberg group is able to iron out them details,
0: we'll finally get this put to bed. Exactly. Well, we'll end this conversation before we get into Kanye Kyrie Irving territory. <laughs> but uh uh Andrew Heaton, the political orphanage, uh, what do you got going on? Uh I just had a fun episode. Um uh
2: I uh i I made friends with the owner of the Comedy Cellar in New York City, uh, which is a very famous comedy club. I'm gonna say kind of the archetypical comedy it club. is
0: it is i mean new york city's uh uh maybe like carolines is, is a Caroline, more, carolines like, is a, big gotham is a, a, a wonderful more, a more prestigious yeah like, kind of like room for right headliners but nothing is better than the comedy seller because famously they have very short sets and yeah. so you will have you just show up not knowing who's going on or there's like limited announcements of who's going on but you will get drop-ins you will from it, the it, biggest, it, you get the, the top of the top. In, Car- yeah, Caroline's, Seinfeld, Chappelle, um, like that—that that thats their playground. I,
2: I I love Carolines. I love Gotham. They are they feel like a big grand theater. They're wonderful venues. Uh, the Comedy Cellar is. The archetypical cramped basement with a very funny man talking, right? That's a comic story. So I I made friends with the owner, um, Noam Dorman. And um, Noam is one of those guys where I don't know what he's going to say. And I really like people like that. Um, I've been in this business a while. So have you. Um, Most of the time when I talk to people about about politics, I know where they're going to head. I don't need that many variables before I know what stump speech they're going to give me. Yeah. And Gnome kept surprising me. And, and so I emailed him and I went, um, I, I don't know where you're going to go. Like, and I, I think this speaks very highly of you, Gnome, because it means you're actually thinking. You're not just regurgitating crap you heard from your team. You're thinking for yourself. And I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you gave me some thought about the nature of cancellation Uh, me being kind of a temperamental moderate. I was on a program we're discussing cancellation, temperamental moderate position, not having thought about it, I was like, "Eh, we probably shouldn't cancel as hard as we do or as often as we do. But a couple of people, yeah. And he was like, no, absolutely not. Cancellation is abhorrent, is antithetical to all of our, our, our notions of justice. And he made a very eloquent defense of why no one should ever be canceled, which surprised me. So I went, I would love to have you on the political orphanage to talk about why that is, and also why you uncancelled Louis C.K., who I believed at his first stand-up post-fallout uh, at the Comedy Cellar, at the behest of Noam Dorman, who caught a lot of flack for it. And I yeah. wanted to talk to him about, you know, what was your reasoning? Would you bring Cosby on, on if he were available? Would you go to a restaurant with Cosby? Would you bring Trump back on Twitter? Like, I kind of just ran him through all of these issues we're talking about with cancellations. Really good chat.
0: Uh, and, and it's a fascinating front of that war because the comedy seller is very famously stand up comedians you are uh, uh, of them I'm ethnically, ethnically a comedian yeah uh, they're their own community it's a very insular uh, 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 you know uh, You know. I, I remember Dave Chappelle had a thing where the time he realized that he was more comedian than black <laughs> was when he saw the Kramer video oh, his first yeah. reaction was like yeah bad night <laughs> Yeah, I can can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, uh, But yeah, but that's that's it's one of those things where it's like, well, okay, are you going to be ejected? Is the comedy seller going to be ejected from polite society because they have Louis C.K.? And he has to make that decision of like, well, maybe this this is
2: this is the to to give a preview of the, the big takeaway that I got from my conversation with Gnome is there's a difference between saying I don't want to work with somebody versus saying I don't want to work with somebody, and by the way, nobody else is allowed to work with that person. And I
0: will shame anybody I, who I will, works with them. I
2: yeah. will shame and ruin you if you do that. And 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 like you get to thinking about it, there are reprehensible people, but you start thinking about what is the end goal here? Of like, um, like like there was a a Harvard professor who uh, was going to be the defense attorney for Harvey Weinstein, and he got yeah. like kicked out of being residence advisor, and and they tried to get him fired and stuff. And it's like are we really saying some people don't get to have defense attorneys because I don't want to live in that country. I, I like, I believe in our justice system. I want everybody to have a defense attorney. There was a, um, uh, a horrible incident here a couple of years ago where, um, some uh, monster shot up a synagogue and was wounded, but not killed. And the doctor that, uh, uh got him was Jewish yeah. and proceeded to treat him. And I, I'm like, well done, that guy. I'm sure that was conflicting for him, but, I don't want doctors picking and choosing who they operate on. Then you think about kind of the lesser things like going out to eat uh, where people go, you know, boot head cruise at a restaurant or something. And it's like, OK, if you can't if you can't go to any restaurant or like, say, grocery store, is our goal literally to get you to starve to death or to like, like live in a dumpster? And like, I think the short answer is we kind of want you to kill yourself. And that's sort of what the cancellation well, I mean, writ large I th- I is. I think
0: it's one of those things where. <sighs> i i I'm gonna die saying this, but like we're in an adolescence of our internet age <laughs> that <laughs> there we, you go we, we still come from this world where the gatekeepers controlled things, and we didn't really get a say. If we were upset with somebody or we thought somebody was mad, if a famous comedian came into town on a stand-up thing and and raped your sister and then just left and nobody was able to prove anything, you were just mad. And maybe you'd write a letter to the network that would never get read. Mm-hmm. And that would just be that. But we come from a world of powerlessness. Now, the gatekeepers are, if not gone, severely diminished. The points of entry for somebody to work are are greatly uh, uh, lesser than what they were in the past. The the people that are making decisions from government to corporate are very sensitive to the most fickle elements of our society, which is social media. And so yeah, a a pylon does matter. A boycott does matter on, on a level that uh, uh, it didn't before. Now, does it materially mean more? Like if, if 11 people at the exact same time, say say to, say to Colgate, you uh, uh, once worked with Harvey Weinstein and now I'm never going to buy your toothpaste again. Does that mean that Colgate has to issue a blanket apology and, and and pay a billion dollars to charities? Like, Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I don't I, think I do so. Think but really, right now, we think. Yeah, that we do. We do. And, and the and the gatekeepers are scared enough to believe that they do.
2: We, I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. If, in theory, Colgate, a, a guy rushed into the president of Colgate's office and he went, "Everyone in a Denny's in El Paso, Texas, is boycotting us." He'd be like, "How many people are it? Thirty people." So you're telling me thirty people in a Denny's in El Paso, Texas, isn't going to buy Colgate anymore? Okay, cool. But if it's thirty people on Twitter. Oh, everybody starts shaking in their boots about that,
0: you know. And that was that was the thing is I remember you know when when shock jock radio was was a big thing in in the nineties and the two thousands, and you had your Howard Sterns and your Opie and Anthony's and and your uh, you know all, all the other programs like that was the thing. I remember listening to Opie and Anthony once. They were like, "Yeah, boycott us. Go do your best. Write all the letters. Go out. Do your picket marches. We're just gonna keep being here, being highly rated." Our fans will listen to us and this will move on that I believe would have changed largely because media is fractured. People are terrified about how the audiences are going to go away. The, the platforms are afraid that if the audiences go away temporarily, that they'll never come back. They'll find some new thing that will, uh, uh satiate their entertainment desires. But also it, it boils down to even people who have platforms as, you know, enough to be recognized on the richter scale like me and you but not nearly as big as the ones that richter we, that, that farts we, that, yeah exactly they're like is this statistical no looks no, like no. somebody
2: dropped a piano yeah. in
0: wisconsin <laughs> I, i'm surprised that even registered but yeah uh, uh but i mean like if we had people on i mean hell i i got a bunch of crap for going on gb news did you yeah, yeah. people are like like ah oh, this is crap it's far right you're, you're you're discrediting yourself by being on it and i'm like I don't know, man. It was a bunch of ladies in nice makeup asking yeah. me very basic questions about American politics. It seemed like they had a little bit of a preoccupation with Donald Trump. I would chalk that up to everybody in the media. That would that would be the only slant that that I that I I kind of detected I, from it.
2: Yeah, I I I was um, circumspect before I went on GBTV News. Uh, my read on the situation is that it is to the left of Fox News. It's almost. It's not even that conservative it's just very pro free speech and also Britain is good um that's yeah. kind of their position that makes them crazy right wingers they they would be considered like center right if they were in the American ecosystem but beyond that like what do you people goddamn want like when when I like when, when I <laughs> When I I, I get in, I get in trouble all the time for going on um, uh, conservative shows. And what do I end up fighting with the conservatives about? I end up fighting with the conservatives that Democrats aren't evil. They are our neighbors. They are opponents sometimes, but they are broadly speaking trying to come up with solutions to common problems. And we don't have enemies in this country. We don't have existential threats. We have neighbors we disagree with. That's what I'm going on conservative media to talk about, and I get in trouble for going on conservative media. And yeah. it's like I I. I think the people lodging these complaints are acting in bad faith, and I'm at a point in my life now where I realize it is not worth my time to try to accommodate people that were never going to give me a fair shake anyway.
0: I mean, yeah, I would totally agree with you, and also like, what, what do they I mean, see? That's one of the fun things about cares? GBTV,
2: by the way, because I got all this crap when I went on GBTV, where people are like, "Oh, here's Heat, who's an antitrust guy," and I'm like. I do not have an opinion about your prime minister of the week, buddy. Like I, yeah, I, know, I could, right? I just learned about this woman. I I could not recognize her in a lineup until an hour ago. I don't have an opinion. I'm a comedian flailing on your television for your amusement. Yeah. And I don't care that you're mad at me because you're a loser that doesn't even live in the same country as me. Like you're spending your time trying to interact with a comedian that came briefly on GBTV. I don't care about your opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you you mostly heard from GBTV viewers. I, I mostly heard from people in my audience that that reflexively hate GBTV for one reason or another. Yes. Well, For which I will tell them and I will tell everybody listening right now. I'll go anywhere like my number one priority for any of this is to make a good impression on any platform, not compromise myself. I'm not going to do. A, a, a Look, if I was going to do a soft shoe uh, uh, to appease people, I would have done that long ago. And I probably would have been on American television by now. Uh, uh, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be truthful. I'm trying to try to be entertaining. Yeah. I'm going to be try to be charming. And I want anybody who's listening on any of those platforms be it funded by Putin or uh, whatever uh, uh, House of Lords member funds uh, GB news. (laughs) uh, uh, I want their audience on my platform and I want to continue to build our audience. That's what I do. If I go out there catting around (laughs) to other platforms, that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing more cult members, Back to our compound so we can continue to uh, eventually be seized by the government.
2: Uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, I will give a compliment to Bernie Sanders, which I don't normally do. But um, uh, back during the 2020 election, Bernie Sanders went and did a town hall with Fox News. Fox News, yeah. I thought that was great. I thought he comported himself very well. And I thought if your goal is to move the needle in a particular particular direction, not a horrible idea to go into whatever you view as the opposing camp and and eloquently explain your ideas and humanize it.
0: Not a bad idea. I've I've always said this is like my biggest thing. The more I study politics, and the more I study political races. You, there's this idea that really popped up through the like '90s and 2000s of like, oh, don't dirty your candidate up. Yeah. Don't don't go through a big primary. Don't do. Bad interviews. These can only go wrong. Only problems can emerge, and it's it's the most self-destructive instinct I think you can ever have. Because if there's anything that we have learned is that boy, is there a worth in things going wrong and you reacting well to it? it it's it's very very good for you to go for Bernie Sanders to go on Fox yeah. News and have a cordial conversation with he, he went up my book the people yeah. like like with, with, with people that are on there. I would love to see. Uh, uh, you know, I, I love it when, when Republican people are allowed on, on MSNBC or anything like that. Like, I think it is, it is a, a, a good thing to have these conversations. The idea of platforming is, I mean, I feel like we could just do another hour on the concept of platforming. I I, I think,
2: I think it's a religious principle people are operating on. You, you, you have committed an act of moral uh, impurity by going to an enemy religion. You have crossed the threshold of a mosque. How dare you? You've gone to a heathen god. It, it's I, I, I will withhold my position on this, Justin. Suffice it to say, I think politics has become the new religion and what a horrible religion it is. We would have done better to select Star Trek,
0: man. If only we were both making money on podcasts <laughs> devoted to these religious battles. <laughs> Boy, how lucky those guys must be. Uh, Andrew Heaton, the political orphanage. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Oh, and we're not wrong. We do a show together. We're not wrong. Listen to we're not wrong. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show today was edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to say thank you to Andrew Heaton, it is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. When to email the show, it is just so simple, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter for the show is px3tweets. You can find me live on Twitch, px 3 live. You can share this podcast with your friends and family, px3podcast.com. And you can send me a one-time donation, paypal.me slash pay jury. Venmo, which is not real. Venmo money is not real. Come on, I don't care what your your, your mama tells you. It's not real. Prove it to yourself. Send me a dollar. Justin-young-20. My cash app is px3cash. And of course, you can send anything you'd like to me in the mail. P.O. Box. 153184 Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box. 31 84 Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, the only place that you get our bonus episodes are TakePoliticsSeriously Three dollar tier gets you two bonus shows per week covering all the news we miss on our free podcast schedule and our $10 tier. Get your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Dustin, Jason, Andres, Matt, Craig, Potts, MC, Dradio, Unsafe, DB Level, Katie, Amanda, Ye old Pinball Shop, DB4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, Persons Familiar With The Matter, and Vote Gloria Young Fucking of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B, A, Select Star, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, Hundred Mile Runner, Aegis, the Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana's Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves, Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the A, L, D, L, D, L, D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. Oh, it's just so simple. Thank you very much. You want to join us? It's TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Oh, man, we're getting back in the groove here, back in the groove. Next week, we're going to have great shows. We're going to keep an eye on this settling Senate, this leadership. We're getting some rumblings on who's going to run for Senate next year. That very difficult Democratic map is already uh, beginning to take shape. Are we going to see any retirements? That is that is beginning to uh, to come into frame here. A lot of talk about Sherrod Brown in Ohio. JD Vance came into the picture on the other side. Will Sherrod Brown survive in an ever reddening Ohio? Joe Manchin up in twenty four. Kirsten Cinema. Up in 24. Will that primary go through? Mm. A lot of interesting uh, scuttlebutt just flitting around D.C. these days. All right. That wraps it up for us. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying... Uh... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this this is the only show that dares discuss all three.